Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is James. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I serve on the production team, and I'm a part of part of the Cedar Park Whitestone CG. Today's scripture is from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all and as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, Well Church family. How are you? Oh, that was awful. How are you guys doing today? Good? Hey, we are in the sixth week of our series called Multiply. And if you were with us last week, we spent some time talking about the centrality of the gospel, that how the gospel is for all people, how it's about King Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. And it's for our daily discipleship. And I want to spend just a few minutes this morning talking to us about what does it mean to multiply in community? And so we're going to look at just five short phrases that that speak to this idea of gospel-shaped communities and what it means to live into that. That you might have heard us say around here at the well that uh, we don't find community, we fight for community here at the well. And I believe that biblical community plays a vital role in your discipleship journey with Jesus. But I think there is a gap between the idea of community and the messy reality of community. And discipleship happens in that space in between ideal and messy. So there's something here for all of us today. And as we think about the book of Acts, we've been journeying through the last number of weeks. If you zoom out, we begin to see this pattern in the book of Acts. We begin to see this pattern of the gospel spreading from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And throughout the Roman empire, throughout the ancient world, gospel-shaped communities begin to form and bubble up. Uh, Historian sociologist Rodney Stark wrote a book that explored how did Christianity grow from a few hundred people in Jerusalem to a worldwide movement centuries later with churches and gospel-shaped communities all throughout the Roman Empire in every major city of the world. So he writes a book saying, how did this happen? And here's what he says. He says, to cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. And to cities born by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Essentially, the gospel took root in the ancient world as women and men shared the good news of who Jesus is, as they demonstrated love towards one another and love towards those around them. That is how the gospel grew. 
right? And didn't Jesus say, this is how it would happen in John 13, that a new command I give to you, Jesus says, love one another. Is I have loved you, so you must love one another. That by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Acts 4.13. That this is a verse you will not find on a coffee mug at Hobby Lobby. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of things uh, on coffee mugs at Hobby Lobby you shouldn't find, right? Um, But one of my favorite verses is Acts 4.13. And what it is, is where Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel. They're arrested by the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Jesus's day. And they're brought before them in a court and they begin to proclaim the gospel again. And here's what Acts 4.13 says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. My prayer for us as a church and as a community is that when people look at our lives, they would say, these people have been with Jesus. When they would look at us as a church and the way we love one another and love the people and places around us, that they would say, this community of Jesus followers has been with Jesus. I think Acts 2 shows us what it looks like to be with Jesus in community with others. Right? I believe buried deep in the human heart of every single person here is a desire for connection and for community. But I wonder if many of us in the room this morning, that longing we have for community, that desire for a place of belonging, I wonder if at times that feels unattainable, impractical, and not for you. Right? Right? Technology has made it possible for us to be more connected than ever before. And yet the number of people who report having no real, deep, or lasting friendships is staggering. Robert Putnam, uh, a Harvard researcher says this. He makes the point in Bowling Alone, his book, that all forms of community in the West are on the decline, particularly forms of community that require commitment. The rates of loneliness in America are staggering. 35% say they are chronically lonely. 43% say they do not have a meaningful relationship with another person. And according to to Barna, a research organization, only 34% of people say they have a friend who helps them become a better person. Good morning and welcome to the well. We are so glad you are here, right? Um, Here's what I believe. One of the greatest needs of the church today is that we need the presence of God and the presence of God's people in our lives. That's the greatest need of the church today. We need the presence of God and the presence of God's people in our lives daily, weekly, monthly, day in and day out that here at The Well, we have a vision for this kind of community. We say we don't find community, we fight for community. The growth is not done in isolation, that the Lord's army does not enlist privates. We grow best when we do it in community with others. And as a church, we do this through our Sunday gatherings, community groups, missional communities, support groups, personal discipleship. And within this, we strive to be a diverse community that foreshadows our true home modeling the beauty of heaven 
until it comes. And I think we see this kind of community described in Acts chapter two, that that just before our passage that we're about to dive into, 3,000 people believed in the gospel, gave their life to Jesus, were baptized, and then they came into church like, now what? How do we do this now? I've made a profession of faith. What's that next step in my discipleship journey? And the very first thing we see is they begin devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? This this definition of devoted can, can mean this idea of being committed and all in, right? For example, you might be committed to your March Madness bracket right now. Uh, by the way, my bracket's beating Tories by far. So just want to put that out there. I see you, Tory. You're not going to come back on from that. Um, another definition of committed is to be lovingly devoted. That you're committed and persistent because of your love for someone. Right? Lovingly loyal. I believe the disciples were lovingly loyal to Jesus and his teachings out of their love and worship and adoration for him. What about you? What about us? What about me? Right? They they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? In the first century world, the way teaching and instruction happened, it wasn't through classrooms. It was through relationships. That in the ancient world, if you wanted to become a a rabbi, a teacher of the law, Torah, the way you would do it is you would find a rabbi and apprentice yourself under him. You'd say, I want to be an apprentice of you. I want to learn from you so that I can do the kinds of things that you do, so that I can carry on your type of work in the world. And we see the same pattern in the gospel stories that Jesus calls a few disciples He says, come, follow me, learn from me, trust me, become like me, Christ-like character, so that you can then carry on my work in the world. That what Jesus passed on to Peter, James, and the other disciples, they now pass on to the 3,000 who form this gospel-shaped community. And within this community, they start talking about Jesus and the scriptures. That's what they spend their time talking about. How does the scriptures show us Jesus and how are we to model our lives after Jesus' perfect life and obedience? How does he show us our example and point us to the Father? They model their lives after Jesus and the scriptures. And Acts 2 says they did this daily. Why? Because Jesus had changed their lives and their devotion to him change the direction of their lives. So I have to ask you a question. Has Jesus changed the direction of your life? That that if Jesus wasn't a part of your life, would it look any different? And would others even notice if you've been with Jesus, right? Acts 2 says 3,000 people came to faith, formed gospel-shaped communities, and they devoted themselves to the teachings of Scripture to Jesus. Family, what are we devoting our lives to? What are we devoting our time and our energy to? Do we have men and women around us who are pointing us to Jesus and to the scriptures? Do you have someone in your life who is speaking into you about Jesus and the scriptures? And who are you doing that for others? This is called discipleship. And this is what we are called to do in community because one, it glorifies the Lord. It grows our faith. 
and it teaches us to step out in faith and obedience. This is what gospel-shaped community looks like in the book of Acts. So they devote themselves to Jesus and scriptures in community. And the second thing they devote themselves to is this idea of one another. Did you notice that word fellowship in our passage today? Maybe you, you, when you see that word, you think about a Costco membership or your Pilates membership. That is not at all what's happening here, right? This idea of fellowship means this idea of shared life together. That we see two ideas here in the early church, that they shared their life in community and they shared the life of Christ in community. Uh, this week, a debate broke out among the staff team about the proper way to reheat pizza. No joke, it happened, it was a thing. And the debate kind of centered around really three options. Do you just eat cold pizza because there's no good way to reheat it? I, yes, I am with you, I, I resonate, right? Option two, do you use the microwave? Strong opinions already, I'm telling you. Or do you use a, a toaster oven? Okay, see, we had, this is a real thing that broke out, it happened, right? Uh, here's the deal, what we learned from a staff team, that when you microwave pizza, it just doesn't taste good, right? It just doesn't taste the same, that you need to use a toaster oven and a toaster oven takes longer. Why do I talk about pizza and toaster ovens? Here's this, you can't microwave community. You can't microwave community. There are no shortcuts to community. It just doesn't taste the same. The texture is off. It's just weird. You, there's no shortcuts to finding biblical community. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet. They were involved in the lives of one another. They didn't have a once a month type attendance, but daily that they were committed, committed to the well-being and the spiritual growth of one another. Their presence mattered to one another. And if you call the well home, your presence fundamentally matters to the people around you. That if you belong to Jesus, then you belong to one another according to the scriptures. That we belong to one another, right? That we are called to share our lives in community with each other. Right? I once heard a pastor say, community is not an experience to consume, but a people to engage and do life with. Right? Community is not an event, it's a family. Think about this. The primary words used to describe Christians in the New Testament is not Christians. It's not even believers. The primary word used to describe Christians in the New Testament is brother and sister. Over 200 times, the scriptures say we are brothers and sisters if we are in Christ. I don't know about you, but anytime something gets repeated in the Bible, I wanna pay attention to that. And this gets repeated over and over and over that the person sitting next to you, if they are in Christ, they're your brother or sister in the faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, we are family. And guess what? The person sitting next to you, the person sitting next to you who, who is your brother and sister in Christ, they are probably just as messed up as you and me. That we are one messed up family, loved by God, called to love one another and pursue Jesus 
together. Right? Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now, this doesn't mean that they thought the same, acted the same, dressed the same, voted the same, and had the same preferences. That's not at all what's happening here. It means they had a radical commitment to loving one another because they've experienced the radical love of the Lord Jesus. That they demonstrated radical hospitality to one another because that's what the gospel demanded of them. That the blood of Jesus destroys any boundary walls between us. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That what bound them together was far greater than their differences. What they had most in common was the gospel, an identity in Christ. Then verse 45 says, they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had a need. Now, this doesn't mean they sold everything because just a few verses later, it says they continued to meet in homes. If you're meeting in a home that's not yours, I think that's called theft, right? So here's what that means. That those who had abundance gave. Those who had excess and extra, they gave, right? Where there's a need, they met it. How does that happen when people become vulnerable with one another? When people raise their hand and say, I need help, right? When people said, I need help, they gave of their excess. Now, oftentimes we think about this in material ways and material possessions, but some of us in this room, we have excess of wisdom. The people around you need it. Some of us have excess of joy and knowledge. The people around you need it. Some of you have excess of parenting skills. I need that, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but we, some of us in this room have excess of stuff. Are you sharing out of your abundance to the people and places the Lord has placed you? Because that's called biblical community. Christine Pohl in her book, Living Into Community, says this, the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. Jesus risked his reputation and the credibility of his story by tying them to how his followers live and care for one another in community. Dang, right? We find ourselves living in this cultural moment marked by divisions and labels and barriers. And what our world desperately needs to see is a community marked by love and togetherness that this is what the gospel demands and calls us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine this week if uh, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, and Kanye West showed up to your CG. How would that, I see some claps there. I don't know if you're wanting that or not. Someone might take the mic from someone else during prayer requests. It's a whole thing, right? Um, how would that go, right? Those three people are radically different. And yet the first followers of Jesus, the 3,000 who gave their life to Christ and joined the church that day, they were even more polarizing and different. And they got together daily, face to face, to worship the Lord Jesus together, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of one another to each other, right? Their shared life in community is what they had. But also they shared the life of Christ in community. Think about this. Jesus lived in community, right? The call to follow Jesus was at the same time the call to join Jesus's community group, right? Jesus had a CG group, if you will. The call to follow Jesus was a call to follow his community group. 
Oftentimes, I think pastors talk a lot about your personal relationship with Jesus, which please hear me, that is really important, really important. But I think also equally important question is this. Do you have a communal relationship with Jesus? Right? Rich Villadas, a pastor in New York City, says this. Jesus lived in perpetual communion with the Father, but still needed a community of brothers and sisters that we can't do it alone. We need each other to help see our blind spots, to call out sin, to encourage our growth, and to walk alongside us in the ups and downs of life. And that only happens through shared life with one another and shared life in Christ. I believe God's greatest goal and desire for your life is to make you more like the one who saved you. God's greatest goal for your life is to make you more like Jesus. But that does not happen in isolation and you being alone, right? Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community for the sake of others that your discipleship journey with Jesus is not just about you and Jesus. It's about the people and places around you. And this doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community when we share our life with others and we share the life of Christ with others. I firmly believe that your spiritual health is directly tied to your commitment to community. Your spiritual health is directly tied to your commitment to community. So what keeps us from this type of community that Acts 2 describes? I think first is this idea of fear, of vulnerability, and pain of past wounds. That some of us, when we hear this idea of community, we get a little scared. We kind of lean back a little bit. We're afraid to, to, to lean in and be vulnerable with people. Right? You walk into a CG and there can either be 10 people or 50 people in a room. And I don't know about you, I'm an introvert. That sounds like one level of purgatory in Dante's Inferno for me to walk into a house like that, right? It can be hard. It can be scary. It, it, it requires vulnerability on our part. It requires stepping out in faith to be in this type of community. Uh, a psychiatrist, Morgan Scott Peck, says this. There can be no vulnerability without risk. And there can be no community without vulnerability. There can be no peace and ultimately no life without community. And he goes on to say, how strange that we would ordinarily feel compelled to hide our wounds when we are all wounded. Community requires the ability to expose our wounds and weaknesses to our fellow creatures and also requires the ability to be affected by the wounds of others. And more importantly, is the love that arises among us when we share both ways our woundedness. Brene Brown puts it this way, imperfections are not inadequacies. They're reminders that we are all in this together. Lean in to community, to the people around you. Share your life, your hopes, your dreams, your sin struggles, and where you need the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Because chances are, the way God wants to work in your life by the power of His Spirit is the people in your community. Second, what holds us back from this type of community is the game of comparison. That it's easy to play the comparison game of past communities, which, which causes us to freeze of wanting to commit to new community today. 
right? If you had a great community in the past, rejoice, praise God. And if you're needing community now, pray and step out in faith, trusting him, right? Fear and vulnerability, the game of comparison, what it costs us. Community at times can be costly. It costs us emotionally. It costs us to give up our preferences, to fully show up and be ourselves. You will not become what God desires for you in isolation. Community is not always convenient or easy. You have to fight for it. Fight for it daily, that you can't have progress in community without presence in community, right? You can't have progress without presence in community. And community takes time, finally. It just takes time. You cannot microwave community. Step out in faith this week. How's the Lord calling you into community? Some of you have great community around you. Some of you love your CG. My question for you is, who are you inviting into your CG, right? There are others in the room who might not have that. Step out in faith and ask them to join you. Every week I hear uh, constant stories when I ask people, hey, how'd you find the well? How'd you get involved? Over and over and over they say, hey, I came to a Sunday gathering and the person next to me asked if I knew, knew anybody else. I said no, and they said, come to my CG this week. And they're still here today. That's how this happens. Invite people around you. I know there's some other CGs in the room. You guys are full, right? The house is packed. 50 people in a house is actually a small number for you guys. They're just large, right? Our heartbeat as a church is multiplication and sending. It's not about uh, keeping, it's about going here at the well. If you're here today, that means somebody made space for you. That means somebody created space for you to experience this, for you to experience community and and, uh, devotion to the scriptures and all of those things. Who are you making space for? that the people who are coming to faith in Christ can experience that same type of community. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And the passage goes on to talk about this idea of breaking bread, prayer, and praise. This idea of breaking bread is they shared the dinner table with one another. That at the dinner table, there's grace and acceptance and welcome. And they broke bread and did communion daily with each other. Why? Because they knew at the end of the day, what mattered most, what held a community together was the gospel. That as we break bread, we're reminded of the lavish love of the Father displayed on us. We're reminded of the gravity of our own sin and the costliness of Christ's grace. That at the heart of community is the gospel that because they have been changed by the gospel, they keep talking about the gospel to one another because they know that they cannot grow in the Christian life in their own strength, in their own power, in their own wisdom, that they need the gospel. They need the power of the spirit daily. And so daily they prayed to the Lord and they prayed for one another. Who in your life is praying for you? Who in your life are you praying for others? This is what the gospel requires. And notice how the passage ends. They were praising the Lord, praising the Lord. He was adding to their numbers daily, right? Community is alive and growing. And we all have a part to play. How are we praying and praising the Lord in this? Well, family, my prayer for us is that we would be people who have been with Jesus, 
that when people look at us, they see that we have been with Jesus in community with one another as we devote ourselves to the scriptures, as we devote ourselves to one another, as we remember the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, you were good and you were gracious and you were slow to anger and you are abounding in love. And you have called us into your beautiful kingdom and community. And this only happens by the gospel. And so Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for the ways in which lives are changed by your spirit. Lord, would you have your way? Would even these next few minutes, would our hearts grow in our affection and obedience to you? Because you are lovely and beautiful and so kind to us. So Lord, we pray all of this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.